Hello and welcome to Voices of Sitkaquan. I'm Avery Herman Sakamoto, and today on the show, Hannah Flora talks with artist Ross Ninnick III about his passion for creating Slinga art in a variety of mediums and what that work has brought to his life. Ross was born and raised in Sitkaquan and is also a longtime volunteer DJ here at KFSK. Let's get to the conversation. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Do you want to introduce yourself? My name is Tai Day. I am Suktinyedi of Kekwan. I come from the Silk Hit. People here know me as Ross Nanak III. And uh, what I said was uh, my clinket name, which is Tai Day. And that has to do with my crest. My crest is the late fall dog salmon. Mm-hmm. And when the tide is high, the dog salmon is all right. But when the tide goes out, he hides under the rocks. And that's my name, hides under the rocks. Hmm. And Kekwan is the village of cake that uh, my family originates from. In our culture, we are matrilineal, so when I talk about my family, I talk about my mother. My father's also from Cake, too, but, uh, and we always honor our father and our father's parents, Pam, family. And Suk Hit is the name of the house that I originate from, and it's the house in tall grass, or the grass house. What would you like to talk about today? <laughs> I have a whole list of questions for you. Um, well, you're here because I I have a painting of yours above my desk here at KFSK that I look out every day and I love. You know, you come in for your radio shows and I at some point ask you about the painting and um, realize that I had a bunch of questions. So I want to ask you questions about your art. Um but before we even get to the questions, you brought in a bunch of um, pieces of art with you today, and I would love to have you describe them and talk about them a little bit. Well, this is a, a, a feast spoon, uh, or my mother says it's a, it's a boil fish spoon. You know, we, we don't make fish stew, we make boil fish. Oh, what's the difference? You don't add anything to it. And what you do add is you add oil, mm-hmm. either seal oil or hooligan oil. I remember the first time I carved one, I, I, after I was through, I came out and showed my mom, and she said, oh, you made a boil fish spoon. I said, my dad used to have a lot of those. Did you know that's what you were making? I knew it was a, a fish spoon that they used for for many things, but uh, mm. for everyday use, they were carved out of wood, like this one is carved out of alder. Mm-hmm. Alder is a very neutral wood. It doesn't have oils in it, so it doesn't give a taste off to it, like cedar wood. Right. Cedar has oils in it. Mm-hmm. The... Ones for ceremonies and stuff were made out of mountain sheep horn, mountain goat horn. 
and they would uh, steam it and bend it into the shape of a bowl. And then they would carve on it. And uh, this one, of course, has a raven on it. And those were used for formal occasions for potlatches and uh, what what this these days is called potlatch, but uh, what we called kuiks and stuff. But um, for everyday use, they would just use a wooden one, mm -hmm, like that one. Mm -hmm. And uh, describing it, since since we're on the radio, it's um, a little bit like a ladle, I suppose. Yeah. Um, with a deep bowl, and then the handle has the raven's head, and it's all, it's unpainted. Has that one been used? No, not yet. Not entirely finished yet. I mm. got a few minor touches to put on it, and then I want to decide if I want to paint it or not. How do you decide? Just, um, I look at it, and I think about it, and I decide, do I want to paint it? You know, I no particular mm -hmm. reason or Rhyme. Just instinct. Just how I feel. The shape of it is from a place where I got my knives from. They, they sent you um, drawings of, of ladles and spoons and with outlines, you know. Ah. So that I can get the right curve to it and stuff. And just looking at those drawings, you know how to use the knives to carve. Well, I would wood. draw. I would cut out, cut out the the form and put it over a piece of wood and draw that on it, and then go from there. And this is, you know, to the touch. This is almost soft. It's so smooth. Is it sanded with sandpaper, or how do you get it that smooth? Yeah, I, I use sandpaper. You know, there are some carvers that will will not use sandpaper. I, I have no compunction against using sandpaper. I, I don't mind. They just don't use it because it's not a traditional tool? Uh, that's, what, that's what they think. That's what they feel, you know. But from what I've read, they had a sand type of sandpaper from... Um, the dogfish. Oh, dogfish skin. Mm -hmm. The roughness of the skin functioned in the same way. Yeah. Huh. I want to talk about my drum. I make beautiful drums. I barely touched it, and you could, you can hear that sound. Mm -hmm. All my drums are very well made. And I learned how to make these drums myself. Mm -hmm. um, I took a class on how to stretch a skin over the, the hoop, but I took it farther. I learned how to make my own hoops. Oh. So can you tell us what the hoop is? The hoop is yellow cedar from the island, mm -hmm. and it's uh, steamed and bent, and it's... All my drums that I make are 16 inches across. Uh -huh. The first couple I made, uh, I had nobody here on the island to ask, nobody around that I could ask how to do it. Mm -hmm. So I read a few books and I looked on the internet and gave it a try. 
I steamed a, a piece of wood and I quickly realized I was not doing it the right way. It, it was, uh, what I was going to do is I was going to try to bend it around a piece of plywood and I realized that that's not going to work because need, it needs more, more uh, depth to it. Mm. So then I went back to the internet and I went to Facebook and I started talking with others and one told me about uh, using uh, a board with uh, pegs and put pegs in the in the board and uh, bend it, the wood around the pegs. Mm -hmm. So the pegs guide where the wood can sit. Mm -hmm. Right. So that so that's how I did my first number of drums. Mm -hmm. And just to describe it, it's 16 inches in diameter, you said, and it's a, a circle, maybe three inches, three-inch wide piece of cedar. Uh, about two and three-quarter. Okay. And um, forming a, a circle, a 16-inch diameter circle, and then it has, is that deer hide stretched yeah. over it? It's rawhide. Rawhide. Rawhide deer hide. You know, it's, uh, mm -hmm. you can wet it, and it'll stretch, and you pull it, and and uh, to get it to fit on the 16-inch drum, it needs to be 24, 25 inches mm. across. And then uh, I also learned how to do various types of ties on the back. Yeah, because the tie on the back has a real specific order to it. There's yeah. clearly a place to hold your hand, and mm -hmm. yeah. And I, the first few I did, I did, I can't remember how I did them, but they weren't as beautiful as this. They they were functional, and I I uh, I used a piece of wood in the middle to hold on to, you know, uh -huh. so your hand wouldn't get sore and. Mm -hmm after playing for a long time. But then I seen somebody with, with a drum like this and I asked, how did you do that? And they said, told me they found it on the internet. So mm. I, this one here has got 16 uh, straps that meet in the middle. And then uh, I learned how you can do 15 where you end up with, with five uh, spokes. Oh, wow. Instead of four. Yeah. So there's 16, and then you've divided them into four and wrapped them in the middle, so that essentially creates two cross pieces, so then you have an X in the middle um, that's been wrapped in more, um, I guess that's hide, to create a thick thing to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I learned how you can do uh, 15 and Fifteen's pretty nice. I like those. It's so. comfortable to hold the five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Then I learned how to do uh, with with no no ties. Just uh, run a strip of leather around the edge of it and pull that tight. And then you only need maybe one or two two cool. going across, and and you only have four instead of uh, sixteen to hold on to. Hmm. And that's just to kind of pull it tight and yeah. give you something to hold on to. Do do each of your drums have a slightly different sound? No, they basically all sound the same. Very deep, very nice. Hmm. 
they hold up to pretty much most kind of weather except for real cold weather. Um, what what um, what do you use the drum for? Uh, whatever the buyer wants to use it for. You know, I I uh, I hope somebody will dance with them. You know, because that's what they're made for. They're made for dancing. Mm -hmm. but, uh, most natives already have a drum that they made in, in some kind of class. You know, so they don't buy one. And yeah. So mostly the tourists buy them. Oh, okay. Is this your personal drum? No. Um, my personal drum is going to be a little bigger. I, 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 I've got one that's about almost 24 inches. It's, uh, it's not round. It's eight-sided. What does that mean? Octagon. Oh, oh, eight-sided. And uh, it's octagon-shaped because some of my first drums were octagon-shaped before I learned how to s steam and bend. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the 22-inch, I'd have to make a whole new form to make a drum that big. Oh, right. So I, I just made an octagon-shaped one. Because he wanted a bigger one. Yeah. And are the, the pieces then are eight pieces that are fitted together. Yeah. Okay. Um, Why do you want a bigger drum? I don't know. Looks looks good. Sounds good. <laughs> louder. But I, I don't know that it's louder. I mean, it might be. Um, Like I say, all my drums, you can hit them very hard. Yeah. And they'll be very loud, whether it's the 16 or the 22. I think they both are just about as loud as each other. Do you want to do you want to demonstrate? If you're just joining us, this is Voices of Sitkukwan, a collaboration between Petersburg Indigenous Awareness Committee, KFSK Community Radio, and the Petersburg Public Library. Today we're listening to a conversation with artist Ross Ninik III. The complete show, as well as other episodes, can be found at sitkavoices.org, on Spotify, Apple Media, and kfsk.org. So then we also have this mask. Um. It was originally going to be a forehead mask. Mm. There was supposed to be a a bridge across the back, but I decided I didn't want that. And, mm -hmm. and it was done and painted, but it wasn't selling, so I decided I'd carve the paint off and redo it. And, it was painted all white, and the the teeth and the lips were painted, but uh, I carved it carved it all off, and I'm in a in the process of finishing it off, and I gotta do some final touches and make it a little, lot cleaner. And how are you gonna finish off? So you said it was originally all painted white. Now it has black eyebrows, and then the bright teal around the eyes and on the on the ears. Well, those were those were painted like that also, but what's clear now was all white. Oh, okay, what's now the sort of chiseled wood texture. Mm -hmm. And so um, you decided to take all the white off of this eagle because it wasn't selling. And are you going to put it up for sale again when you finish? Yeah, I am. I don't think I'm going to paint the white again. I don't think I'm going to paint all the wood. I'm just going to leave what's painted now... Mm -hmm. Leave it there, and then um, 
like I say, clean it up a little, a little bit. Mm -hmm. This was a design from my mentor. My mentor, I should mention, his name was Norman Jackson from Cake. He's the one that taught me how to carve, mm. and he taught me, helped me refine my form line design. Mm. When I, when I, uh, could I talk about how I got to be carving and painting? I was going to ask you that. Yeah, please. You know, thirty years ago, I used to drink and and uh, party just like everybody. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, just a little over 26 years ago, I decided that I was drinking too much. I was, once I started drinking, I wouldn't stop until I blacked out. Mm. And I decided, well, it's no longer fun. I'm not dancing with all the women. I'm not having fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting drunk. Mm -hmm. So I decided to quit drinking. And uh, when I quit drinking, I went to AA and, and got their assistance, and the, but I also uh, picked up books and started reading about the artwork. And I started asking about my my family history, things that I might have forgotten to refresh my memory. And, mm -hmm. and um, I, I learned how to draw. You hadn't drawn at all before then? No. Had, you, had you been interested in art at all? Not really. I oh. mean, I was... Uh, this was 26 years ago. I'm, uh, this September 9th, I think, is mm -hmm. going to be my 26th anniversary of wow. no alcohol. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I picked up a book by Bill Holm and, and stuff and with the fundamentals of uh, form line design and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and I picked up a, a few other books and I read what he considered you should do. And I started drawing. First thing I did is I drew ovoids. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about ovoids? Ovoid is what he termed the, the, the term for like the area around the eye. You see how it looks almost like an oval, but mm -hmm. it's a little more elongated. and Yeah, kind of flat on the bottom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's what he termed the ovoid. That's one of the main parts of uh, form line design. Mm -hmm. Then there's a U form, an S form, mm -hmm. and then um, you got to learn about negative spaces too, because negative spaces define the positive space. If you don't, if you don't use the negative space right, you're not defining the, the area properly. So, and then you learn how to use the different colors, because the traditional colors were black, a type of red and uh, a type of green, and they were made from pigments. Some artists will even go so far as to only paint with pigments, but uh, me, like I say, I, I don't mind buying. <laughs> and those are pigments that are, um, are available in nature here in the area. Yeah, made from minerals, Yeah, mainly. Like, uh, like the red was, was made from like a copper oxide, you know, and and um, the green was made from like a moss, I believe, or... Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So all of this, all of the, the shapes and the talk about negative, positive space and the colors, that's all under the umbrella of form line design. Yeah. Form line design 
another thing is that it, it goes from thick to thin, you know, and, and how you do that defines how your shape is going to be and and um, certain certain uh, clan crests have certain features that belong to that crest to show that it's that type of animal, such as a killer whale, of course, has the, can you guess what it has? The fin. The dorsal fin. You know, a beaver, what can you think would, would distinguish a beaver? Probably its tail or its teeth. Both. You know, and then like the raven's got the more of a straighter beak than the eagle. The eagle's is hooked. Mm-hmm. But, um, so if you um, are part of a specific clan, I'm presuming you can, you can use the crest um, for your clan. Can you use the crest for other clans when you're making art? Yeah, you can. You can do that for just for sale to other people, you know. Um, but it, it all depends on if you are yourself a clinket or a haida or cultural appropriation is not is not uh, is very much frowned upon. Mm-hmm. It's very touchy when somebody that's non-native starts using our stuff because for many years we could not do our artwork. And now that we're finally doing our artwork, we do not want somebody to steal our artwork that, mm-hmm. that was stolen from us already, you know. And to benefit monetarily from something that... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you started studying with, what was the name of your mentor? Norman Jackson. Norman Jackson. Not not Norman Jackson from Ketchikan, but Norman Jackson from Cake. There's there's two Norman Jacksons. Good one, to distinguish. One's younger and one's older, but mine, he has since passed away. So, so they're just now Norman Jackson and Ketchikan. Okay, so he took you under his wing and started showing you. Was he teaching you the carving and the painting and? Well, um, what what he did is pointed me to the... Well, no, I actually, I, I had heard about it first with the Rasmussen Foundation. They have a grant called the Master Apprentice Grant. At that time, it was like 2000. And what they will do is pay a master artist to teach you how to do the artwork. And so I approached him with one of my drawings you know, because as I said, I, I, I drew and I drew and I drew and I kept drawing. First thing I did was draw with number two pencil. Mm-hmm. When I got far enough along that I felt comfortable, I started drawing with colored pencil and then I started giving them away to my friends. Uh-huh. Then when I got farther and I felt more comfortable and I started drawing with colored ink and I started giving those away to my friends. And then at that point, I couldn't go any farther by myself and that's when I found the master apprentice grant and mm-hmm. I showed Norman one of my one of my drawings and he, he liked it and he told me a few things that I needed to change and and uh, and then when I went over to study with him under the grant he he taught me for about a week over in the village of cake mm-hmm. and there were multiple reasons why I wanted to study with him one is because he was very traditional and very did did very beautiful work, mm-hmm. and two, because as as I said, cake is is uh, my home my uh, homeland, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to talk to my relatives over there and 
learn more about my family while I'm learning about the artwork. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I got there, he said that he had thought a long time about what he would teach me, and he said, I'll teach you how to carve a mask. And he said, what I'm teaching you on this mask, you can apply to a totem pole. If you wish to carve a totem pole, this will teach you how to carve a totem pole. Have you carved a totem pole? No. My my dream is to carve a, two memorial poles for the for the graveyard out the road. They they got that lower part down there. I wanna put it down there in that grass and so every ship can see it when they drive by, you know. That that's my dream. Would you be able to do that by yourself or would you need more than one carver? Uh I might be able to do it by myself. Um I would maybe need some help in direction and getting going and started. Mm. That's a really beautiful dream. But uh, that, that's my dream. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in today. Is there anything else that you, that you want to mention that we haven't touched on? Mm. Not that I can think of right offhand. I mean, you know, as I said, this was a journey to sobriety. It was it started as a way to distract myself from wanting to drink, mm -hmm. and it worked. You know, I've coming up on twenty six years of sobriety, and and uh, it's, it's uh, something I love and enjoy to do. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, and I'm so glad that you're doing it because it's so wonderful to get to see all of these pieces and all of your art out in the world. So, thank you. Thank you. A big thank you to Ross for that conversation. We just have one PSA for Elsewhere in Sitkakwan, a segment in our show where we announce Indigenous-centered PSAs. Clayton and Haida's Youth Commission is now accepting applications. The commission is comprised of delegates representing 21 communities who will serve a two-year term. The commission functions as a working body of the tribe and provides an opportunity to develop leadership skills, as well as learn about Klinka and Haido's governing structure, parliamentary procedures, resolutions process, and effective tools for advocacy. There are three seats open here in Petersburg, and to apply you must be an enrolled tribal citizen of Klinka and Haida and between the ages of 15 and 25. The application deadline is September 20th, 2022, and you can go to www.tinyurl.com slash 2022 Youth Commission for the application. Thank you so much for joining us for Voices of Sitkakwan. Voices of Sitkakwan is recorded and produced on Hlinkit Ani, the historical homeland of the Hlinkit people but also the current homeland and the land that holds their future. Thank you for joining us for Voices of Sitkakwan. This show is a collaboration between the Petersburg Indigenous Awareness Committee, KFSK Community Radio, and the Petersburg Public Library. It is made possible, in part, by a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services and the Alaska State Libraries, Archives, and Museums. It is also made possible by the generosity of our participants, including the volunteers on our content committee. We thank them for their enthusiasm and dedication.
To participate in Voices of Seat Kukwan, contact Kari Peterson at the Petersburg Public Library. Archives of shows can be found at seatkavoices.org. That's S-E-E-T-K-A voices.org, as well as on Spotify and Apple Media. Gnachtschisch. Wish can I talk to the art? Wish can I talk to the art? Haji, yes, hey, they should do a talk.